Happy Monday, my Liberty Kitty Cats. And that is the last time you're going to hear me say those words in 2020. This is the last episode of the flagship Lions of Liberty podcast this year. And we are going out with a bang. The return of Vin Armani is going to happen in just a few seconds here. But first, I got to make sure you know about this last minute offer. It's not really last minute. We've had it up for a month or so, but you only have three days left to take advantage of it. And that is our Patreon annual subscriptions. Now, anybody who is in the Lions of Liberty Pride, anybody who's a member of our Patreon will tell you, you get more bang for your buck on the Lions of Liberty Patreon than I will say just about anywhere out there. I mean, I'm willing to put us up against any other podcast, certainly other any other libertarian podcast out there in terms of bonus content that you get by being a member of the Pride, by supporting the show on Patreon at patreon.com slash Lions of Liberty, you get all sorts of exclusive bonus content, including Conspiracy Corner, Degenerate Gamblers, Drunken Howie Story. We tried that last month, and uh, it's going to keep happening because it was really freaking fun. We get tons of bonus content, including early access to a lot of my interviews, like the one that is airing today with Finn Armani. But friends, you've got just three more days to join on an annual subscription. And what does that mean? That means you get two, two, yes, two entire months for free. It's a 16% discount but you only have until December 31st at midnight. The stroke of midnight, this thing ends to take advantage of it. So go to patreon.com slash Lions of Liberty. Pick a level, any level. There's one for everybody. There's $5 a month for all the exclusive content and it gets higher and higher and higher with the tiers and all the different sorts of perks and membership benefits. You can produce a show with a nitty level. You can get an ad on the show at the higher levels. But no matter what level you choose to support this, the greatest libertarian variety show on earth, no matter what level of support, you can rest assured you'll be getting two free months as long as you join up before December 31st. My friends, happy slightly early new year. Enjoy the show. Welcome to the Lions of Liberty podcast. Here's your host, your guide, your shining beacon of liberty, Mark Clare. All right, Vin, uh, he's here with me, hailing from Saipan, Vin Armani. Vin, are you ready to roar? I am ready to roar. I knew you would be. And uh, Vin, we're going to kind of just pick up right where we left off back in June. Uh, If anyone listening now has not heard that episode, stop what you're doing right now. Click back to Lions of Liberty, episode 464. Take the 90 minutes to listen to that one and come right back here because we're going to jump in hot. And I want to start talking about, uh, it's been a hashtag. It's, it's been trending a little bit at least. And that is the dim age. Vin, you've been yes. talking about this for months and months and months. So for anybody out there not familiar with it, or maybe they've seen the hashtag and just think, what the hell is this guy talking about? What exactly is the dim age? What is it that we're experiencing here? Yeah, that what the hell is this guy talking about seems to be a pretty <laughs> I'm sure you get it a lot. Uh, yeah, that, that's, that seems to be the first reaction of most people upon encountering uh, the things that I say. Uh, Okay, so the dim age, this actually began as uh, something that I was speaking about with uh, my friend Dave Butler on a podcast that we used to do. Um, And it, 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 it came up, I think, in the context first with me with seeing the emergence of Flat Earth and this flat earth movement and i said ah something this is interesting like something's happening here and i had very intelligent people and even business partners it wasn't just like eddie bravo types it was people who i genuinely respect their opinion and are smart people and i've done business with and i know that they're just not like fantastical and they would say things like 
uh yeah no man like really i think really go check it out just like take a don't discount it like just go take a look and i was like flat earth though like uh, (laughs) really that's like the earth is flat and i said so okay something is happening here i had i had been writing and speaking and i even did a long um, video series called the ascendant project which people can go check out on my youtube in back in 2016 where some things that i had been studying for many years were saying that we should be looking at some sort of a uh global societal shift, something like the movement of an age, we should be on the cusp right now, something is there. And so when I say like the age we're talking about, so there's been this idea of ages throughout history. In the East, they have many different kinds, but the specific system that I had been studying for a long time is based on the Hindu Varna system, which is this four... Um, it's basically the peasant, the warrior, the thinker or priest and the merchant, which is, um, uh, Shudra, Kshatriya, uh, Vipra and Brahmin, which are like the four class, uh, classes or castes in India. People may be familiar with that. There's a caste system that, uh, has traveled down and it's kind of based on their religion. It's very, very old, this idea. And there was an Indian guru who was really prominent in the 70s and 80s called PR Sarkar, who said that that is actually a description of this sort of eternal cycle that humanity moves through. And uh, this same kind of notion in the West, where we get like the term the golden age, this is from uh, Hesiod, uh, this ancient uh, Greek. And the idea was that there were these ages, the golden age, the silver age, the bronze age, the age of heroes, which is kind of in the bronze age and the iron age. And we, we also have those ideas. So even in archeologically, they're like, there's the stone age, there's the bronze age. We talk about the Roman, you know, the age of, of Rome. And then you had the dark ages and the Renaissance and the enlightenment and all of that. So these, these patterns of this idea that there are these ages and we move through them has been throughout all cultures in the world. All of these ideas, even go to the Mayan calendar, um, you know, Judaism and the idea of the patriarchs that you have in Genesis, you know, the, the idea that there was an age before the flood, there was an age after the flood, and all of these ideas that there are these moments where something shifts. And so for years, it looked as though like something really big is gonna come and make a shift. And that really big thing in the way that these systems is understood is that it's not that that this event would necessarily create the shift itself. It's that humanity is like ready for a shift, you might say, that we're moving along in this pattern, similar to how like an individual is growing, you know, and we have these times as individuals where it's like, this was the moment when I became an adult, you could say, right? We sort of have those moments or this was the moment when I I think for a lot of people, it's like having children, you know, something happens and something shifts and it's like, oh, I'm an adult now. Wow. I just realized that. And it's, it's really that we have these catalysts that create this realization that something has changed. And so that's happening on a grand scale. So I've been saying, what is this? What is this? And Everything was pointing to this idea of a a new age of magic, 
So a, a new mystical age. And the question of like, how do you fall into the dark age? Like, how do you go from this Roman empire, this light, this knowledge? And how do you just like, all of a sudden they say, oh, the fall of Rome. Well, that took a hundred years at least, if not more, for the West to fall. Byzantine, the Eastern Roman Empire never fell, really. Um, it lasted for another thousand years after, during the Dark Ages, Rome existed in Constantinople. It was one of the most powerful empires in the world, the Byzantine Empire. Uh, they still spoke Latin. They called themselves Romans. So Rome didn't fall. It was only the West. And so it's like, well, how, wh why, why does it fall? Why do these falls happen? And it looks to me like we can't say necessarily why why it fell, like what the catalyst was, but we could say like what it looked like. What did the Dark Age look like? And what the Dark Age looked like was this an age of magic, basically, where you had this return to superstition um, and highly religious. And so the flat earth was like that moment when I said, ooh, 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 we're at the risk of this. We're at the risk of actually en masse being able to return to like a superstitious age. People who have been raised, who can actually literally go and look and see pictures of the round earth. There's astronauts. There's, could you imagine the scale of the conspiracy that would be necessary for there to be, a, for the earth to be flat? And for everybody who's saying that the earth is round, all these scientists, all the people who have, can you imagine the scale? the sheer scale of the conspiracy, but yet you had millions probably of people, if you go by the YouTube views, who were willing to be like, yeah, the conspiracy is that big. Well, if you're willing to believe that, you could believe just about anything. And I think that that was when I said, oh, we're about to enter a new dark age. And there was somebody who had responded to, to uh, a tweet of mine where I said that, and he said, oh, the dim age, I'm trying to, I, I should remember his name because I told him I would credit him with this. <laughs> Um, mystery Twitter person. If you're out there, please. Yeah. I, 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 I'll, I'll go find it so that in the future, uh, cause I do want to credit him, but I said, Oh God, I love that because it really is that it's that the light is out there. It's not a complete dark age. Although we'll see, like we're also seeing this censorship happen. We're seeing knowledge being just removed from and memory hold. And, and where would we go and get it? We've been relying upon, we don't download content anymore. Uh, we don't store it with us. It's like it's in the cloud. Well, what happens when you just take it out of the cloud? Well, does it exist anymore? Did, is there another copy? Will I ever be able to find it? I, we were talking about that here with uh, Stefan Molyneux's work, right? Before he became a, 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 a Trumpist and a statist, he, uh, he introduced so many of us. He really opened my eyes to voluntarism and anarchism with his books and whatnot. And it's like, dude, he's a historical figure. His, his video where he kind of like lays out this whole concept of human beings actually being like uh, like animals on a farm and that states are all the kind of our different pens. Like that, yes. that was a total red pill moment for me. I was like, oh, oh yeah, I totally see that. The story that that video is called the story of your enslavement. Yeah, yeah. And there's probably a few it's and, and you're right. It's fantastic. It's like, what, five minutes long or something like that. It's just like this. It's just this punch in the face of like, whoa, it is a re total red pill moment. And so, you know, and I think when it was taken down, the original video probably had in the tens of millions of views. So that, that one's been wiped now. It's wiped because yeah, it's wiped. of, you know, because now Stefan Mall knew is one of the you know, undesirables or what have you that we need to pretend they don't exist. 
How does, and, and you know, I mean, you can have undesirables or whatnot, but to say that this is not one of the most influential philo- political philosophers of his generation, uh, well, who else then, right? Like who, who reached as many people as him, whether I agree with him or not. It's funny. They'll take down Stefan Molyneux videos. They'll take down like Tom Woods videos about, you know, call, you know, describing the COVID cult, but all the flat earth videos are, are there, with, there. With, no, with no objections, no fact checked or anything like that. And that's, that sort of says it all. So what says it all is that we're entering into a new age of magic, that it's only magic and superstition that is going to survive. I think that we reach this point, we can probably see maybe how the Romans reach this point. And what I've been pointing out to people is I've said, look, we have all of this. And I think this is where some of this trust the science narrative in the COVID thing comes in is it's this hubris, this arrogance that we have of living in a technologically advanced society and ascribing to ourselves the, inv- the advancement mm-hmm as though we actually know how to make any of the things that we use on a day-to-day basis, because we don't. And that is where I think the magic comes in, is that where does a cell phone come from? And how does it work? How does the screen work? How does the touch screen work? Right? That you touch on it, you touch on this glass. How Do, do you know how to do resi- resistive glass? No, you have no idea. It's magic. How does the camera work on there? Oh, it's a digital camera. So it's converting photons into ones and zeros. How does that work? That thing you use every day, you have no idea. It may as well be a crystal ball. It may as well be an amulet. What we're doing right now is, is absolute magic. I mean, this is magic. I can hardly tell you how this is even happening, <laughs> to be honest. It's, and, and even the, here's what's crazy. Even the people who work at Zoom... 99, but well, I would say 100% of them couldn't tell you how all of Zoom works. At most, they could tell you very well how their little piece works, and they may, might be able to give you some vague description of how uh, some other pieces work, but they'd be lost on some huge percentage. Because even the developers, it's like, okay, how does the accounting work here? How does the payroll work? How, where does your paycheck come from? Okay, you can tell me how you're sending packets, you know, through through TCP IP. How does your payroll work? Oh, I don't know. I don't know. And and so we have brought ourselves into a place where literally we are living in a world of magic. For our our subconscious minds, we may as well be in Middle Earth and this may as well be coming from wizards. Is part of the fact that it's our brains like literally can't really comprehend how all these things around us are happening, uh, how that we can shoot ourselves in giant, you know, giant cylinders in the sky to different parts of the world, how we can talk over these screens and with these little sticks that somehow transmit my voice is part of that fact that we can't really comprehend it. What lends people to so blindly believe anything else they're told because they're, they're sort of taking this all as the same thing. We have all these advancements. Yes. They're ours now as humanity. So, of course, wear your fucking mask because they told us that's what. That's a, don't don't worry about it if it works. Stop talking. I don't want. No one wants to hear me break down how this microphone works, and no one wants to hear me break down if a mask is functional or not. Well, and it wouldn't. The the thing is that it wouldn't matter whether you broke it down or not, which is what we're seeing. 
and which is what I, you know, I love Jeffrey Tucker, but I mean, to be fair, I have been trolling him for like for months now um, because and, and, and I'm trolling him out of uh, truly out of love because I do love him. And I do think that he's like a, a powerful, powerful uh, voice for positive change. Yeah, I just did an but, interview with Jeffrey about a month ago where he went on a you know, whole hour-long tirade about you know, mass culture and lockdowns. That, uh, it was a blast, but then you know I'll go on his Twitter the next day and see him going more about, I can't believe people are believing this with all these data points right. here. I'm like, well... Yeah, I, the data points. <laughs> <laughs> it's the data points. It's always the data points, and no one, no one gives two shits about data points. Well, and because nobody can give two shits about data points, because nobody understands they don't mean anything. And, and that's... What's, uh, what's also been interesting is that at the same time that this has been happening, we have had this rise, and I think the quintessential person is Jordan Peterson, but there's a lot of people in that, what would I say, in that intellectual milieu, that intellectual space. And you will notice that the watchword for all of them is the word meaning, right? Like that's mm-hmm. even Jordan Peterson's shtick. Like his book is Maps of Meaning and his the thesis, and that's an old book, right? So this is like what his whole work has been about and kind of the thesis, the core thesis that underlies it all is that of, of Jordan Peterson's message is that the world is not made of things. The world is made of meaning. Like you don't see the thing. You actually don't see the thing. You see the meaning of the thing. Like the thing is nothing. And this is, this is like an old philosophical concept. And so what we have, and I think that why you see the, the, they want to adopt the mask, wear a mask, social distance, do all of this. Well, why? Because if you don't do that, the world that this, what's happening has no meaning. I saw today some doctor tweeted, now people have been tagging me on dim age tweets. So things that represent the dim age, they'll they'll tag me. And this doctor, this tells you the point that we've reached where today you have an MD and the tweet was, and I I, I retweeted, uh, uh, quote tweeted it so people could, could go and look, but this is an MD who says, it is not a bad, and he capitalizes bad virus that's killing us. It's bad behavior that's killing us. So oh. Now it's on us. Oh, I thought it was a virus that was <laughs> killing us. Oh, okay. It's bad behavior now. And if that is not going, hearkening back to a time that, I mean, we're really going back to Genesis now, right? Like this is Sodom and Gomorrah being smitten by God for their wicked ways. Yeah. I saw another uh, another tweet from like a, a, another doctor type who said, you know, I, I'm going to take the vaccine. I'm going to take the second dose in two months and I'm still going to wear my masks and I'm still going to social distance mm-hmm. until Dr. Fossey tells me to. That that was his only other connection of why he might change his behavior. Not because he as a doctor can decide if the vaccine is working or if the vaccine is effective or if masks are effective. Only when Dr. Fossey tells him it's okay to act differently. That is. And you think about the incentives here, the perverse incentives it's uh, that is like the same incentives of the uh, personal trainer. I often tell people, I'm like, oh, you have a personal trainer? Yeah, I got a personal trainer. Oh, they they work out with you. Yeah. Uh, have they ever offered for you to come and work out with them as their workout partner? Are you, 
do you know whether or not the workout they give to you is the workout they do? The, are they in great shape? Yeah, they're in great shape. Are, do you know whether or not the workout they do for themselves is the one they give to you? Because I do know I've worked out at gyms where that are like pro bodybuilder gyms and I've and that have personal trainers who are like concierge pro bodybuilders. And I see the workout they give their clients and then I see the workout they do. It's not even close. <laughs> And you get the reason why you understand. It's like, oh, wait a minute. Because if you showed your client the workout that you do, which is relatively simple, not complex, and you do the same thing pretty much every week and your body looks like this, they would stop paying you. Right. They wouldn't need you after about a month. You would have shown them how to do everything, everything that you do, and boom, they're done. They're doing what you do now, and you, you don't need a personal trainer. And so it's like, why on earth would Dr. Fauci who is nobody, if there's no COVID, ever say that COVID is over. That, that, that would be like, I mean, I was on a, a TV show for many years. That would be like me choosing to cancel this, my own show. <laughs> it would be like Why you calling for an, an end to, uh, to Gigolos. <laughs> yeah, it's over. It's, uh, okay, I'm ending it. I'm never, it's like, wait a minute. The, the pay, why would I turn down the paycheck? Like, let them cancel it. And so, and these people will be around. And Fauci is going to be around in the next administration. He's a, he's a bureaucrat. He's an appointee. He's been around through many administrations. He's going to continue to be around through this administration. And, and this is what people want. People want meaning. You see, all, it's, it's giving people the ability to suffer. And that's what people really want because suffering is meaning suffering. It's like, yes, we're going to get through this. Think about all the things they say. You're doing this for the greater good. You're responsible. This is how you slip into the dark age. This is how you slip into the dim age is because you're like, look, I have all these things. You're telling me all these things. The science is this, and it's this. I, I can't take it in. I don't have a background, but I also don't need to know any of it. Like, I don't need to know where food comes from. I don't need to know how a cell phone is created. I don't need to know how, how the supply chains work. Somebody else knows all of that. The experts, quote unquote, the experts know it. And they must know it because the world is operating. And if somebody didn't know it, then ostensibly the world would just stop. And so trust the experts. That's literally almost the only argument I see anymore is you might come back. You might see someone come back with a good fact or, you know, countering with a chart that where the mask mandates don't match up. And then it all it will always come back down to, OK, well, I'm sure you know better than the experts. <laughs> yeah. Well, and if they are quoting and this is another thing, you know, and it's another reason why I'm uh, in some ways I'm I'm trolling Jeffrey is that. All he's doing is he's putting, if, if I come with a chart, right? I'm not an epidemiologist. I'm not a quote unquote expert. So all you're doing, if you come with, oh, this is the, this is the one chart. This is the chart. Well, at the end of the day, that chart was made by an expert. So all you're doing is you're putting your expert against their expert, but you're still, you, you've seeded. And this is what I said when the great Barrington declaration. This is what I tweeted. I said, this is going to fail spectacularly because what you've done by saying, oh, here's the steps we need to take 
and herd immunity is the way to go. And we want to do this. And it's signed by all these experts. I said, what you've done is you've seeded the mythological ground. You're agreeing to the rules of the game here. You're agreeing. Experts is who we have to listen to. So here's ours. Yes, exactly. Exactly. And so it's like, then you've lost. Then you've lost. Because they've got the um, imprimatur of the state. Right? These are the state experts. These are the accredited. See, they can give all kinds of certificates and accreditation. That's what the state does, is they decide who's qualified to, to speak or not to speak but by giving you a license, by giving, you know, by giving you a registration, by authorizing you to do X, Y, Z. Oh, by yes, putting you, you on are, TV. If you're on TV, by putting you, must you on TV. You must be an expert. And then you have and, and or and or social media companies. Right. So it's like, oh, well, what we're going to do to show that you're not an expert fact check, put a little disclaimer under your thing. This person is not an expert, but the experts then we're going to like, yeah, we're going to raise them up. We're going to fully monetize all of that. Oh, it's going to have this person was on ABC news. Oh, we brought them in. Oh, they're going to be on the late night uh, talk show talking about something. Oh, they're clearly. And then you get the Dr. Fauci's. And so this is like, this is where you slip into and you slip into a place where, and I think we've already reached that, where it's like the, the experts have taken over. The experts, quote unquote, are running the show. And now the most psychopathic control freak individuals in the coming generations will strive to be experts. Because it's that's the technocracy. Like it's going to be run by experts. I'm just going to defer to the experts, right? You hear the people with the guns of the state, the governors, the presidents. This is not me. That's what Gavin Newsom says in his press conference, mm-hmm. like every single day. He says, we're going to continue to listen to the experts, to trust mm-hmm. the science, and we're going to keep doing these things we have to do until this. He actually will say this now. Of course, it wasn't. For first, it was just to save grandma and flatten the curve. But now it's <laughs> until this virus is gone. Until it's gone. <laughs> until it's gone. Until okay. it's gone. Well, well, all right, then. How do you and and how could you possibly ever know that the virus was it's a virus? How could you ever know that it was gone? But hey, the experts say if we weld ourselves into our house, then the virus will go away. You know, in the beginning of this thing, I I said, and again, one of those, you know, what the hell is he talking about things in March when this all started? And I mean, it's there. The receipts are there. You just go and you can look on Twitter. Scroll through that timeline. And the fact that I'm on, the fact that I'm in Saipan, where we came here the first week of April, uh, should tell you that, you know, I I pretty much, I had an idea of what was coming. But I said, the coronavirus panic, and I said this in March, is what the Salem witch trials would have looked like if social media was around at the time. Yeah. That's what we're dealing with. It's and, and you know, I, I've, I've said this. I've said this many times, but it really bears repeating because it's, it's important. You know, people think that, oh, those were unsophisticated country bumpkins. That's the reason why there was a Salem witch trial. Now, there were witch panics at that time all over and all over Europe, especially. But the Salem witch trial is particularly important because of who the individuals were who were involved. First off, they were not just country bumpkins. There was like a 99% literacy rate among those populations. They were some of the most literate people in the world. 
the individual who is most seen as being, what would you say, the main justifier and perpetrator of the Salem witch trials, sort of giving the intellectual backing, was a gentleman named Cotton Mather. He's one of the most famous colonial, let's say, leaders. He was a religious leader, but he was also a, a political leader. He highly intelligent, highly literate. Uh, his, his father, Increase Mather, was at the time the president of Harvard University. He was the leading religious sort of scholar, spoke multiple languages, including ancient ones like Latin and Hebrew, was actually the person after the Salem witch trials took place who introduced, ironically enough, inoculation, which then became vaccination, <laughs> to yeah, North that's America. That's not a grand irony. I, I have no idea what is. To North America. He was a member of the Royal Academy of Science. Okay. Now, mind you, this is this is he was next the guy. This is the guy who was the so he is a scientist. He was a, a scientist. He was one of the most intelligent, educated, articulate people. Even after the people had decided that the Salem witch trial was a gigantic mistake, which they had gone to him and said, "Should should we be doing this? Is this right?" And he had basically said, "Yes, this is that Satan definitely walks among us. We need to be doing this. I'm I'm sort of okaying this." He and his father wrote a book after the Salem witch trials, after everybody knew that it was bullshit, they wrote a book justifying their behavior and continuing the narrative that what they had done was right. And the Salem witch trials was fine. And it's called the wonders of the invisible world. And the foreword of that is a letter from the Massachusetts Lieutenant governor, basically saying I co-sign everything Cotton Mather did. He's one of the greatest individuals and smartest in everything that we know. Go and look. Wonders of the Invisible World. You can read it. This is after the Salem Witch Trials. This is the president of Harvard University and the person who introduced inoculation to, the, to North America saying, yes, what we did and said during the witch trials was the right thing to do, and we would do it again. That bears repeating. We are not different people. Human beings have not fundamentally changed in the way that we behave. These were the experts. This is what happens when you trust the experts. You get the Salem witch trials, and we're back again. History repeats itself. It's funny you bring up inoculation there, because that's just that's something that has come up. Um, the vaccine has come out since the last time we spoke. And now this is something that I'm seeing sort of uh, being interweaved into the narrative, not replacing the other things that we were told we have to do, because those are never going mm -hmm. anywhere, uh, just adding on to it. So first, it's just you got to wear a mask for a little while and, so, and social distance for a while. Now it's you got to do it forever. Uh, now it's for a while I was hearing from people. Oh, just until we get the vaccine. But now those same until we get the vaccine, people, that narrative is even changing to even when you get the vaccine, you're going to have mm -hmm. to mask up and social distance because you still could be spreading it around. And it, it just seems like they're adding more and more layers to what falls under the requirement of trusting the science. Um, and I don't really have a question here. So just <laughs> just just take it away on vaccines. So the I think what is important to realize is that. We're not so this word science, okay? Um, I've I've been listening to this uh, this book Dominion, which is great, which is kind of like a, a companion, I would say, to this other book uh, that that took me about a year to get through. Uh, Darmaid McCullough's three thousand Christianity: The First Three Thousand Years, but this is like a condensed version, and it's basically like how our entire cultures is 
suffused with the Christ, with Christian ideas and where they all come from. So like all of these things that we take for granted in terms of the way we organize our minds all come from the history of Christianity and it being part of the culture. And we don't even know. And so this is like a breakdown kind of history, but also how did these, how did these ideas get introduced? And so the it's funny because like I, I've been listening to this on audiobook on my walks in the evening and and just yesterday was the concept of uh, religion religio religio and how this was not necessarily about Christianity so much as it was about like the initially the idea and the word was like about these cultural practices. So the, the religio is like to bind. It means to, something that binds together. So it's like not about belief in God or any of this, but it's more about the actual rituals that you're participating in. And so we as human beings will naturally find these religio. That's like, that is culture. That's what we do. And so when we start introducing into the culture, some fashion, some uh, uh, ritual, some tradition, the things that stick are the things that can be the most universal, that can be the most enforceable, and that are the most participatory. So you think about something like, so let's give an example of, uh, so first off, America is a religion. Amer uh, America is a religion. The things that we do, the way that we behave, uh, the the way that we treat freedom of speech, the Second Amendment, all of these, these are the sacred, sacred things that we do and that we then participate in. That's why you hear so many arguments, especially, you know, from conservatives, you always hear them referencing the, the founders and such reference. I mean, it's basically yes. their version of referencing, well, Jesus, because Moses brought down the commandments. That's why. Okay. Yes. And, and, and but but it's like it's almost it's this evolutionary process of if something sticks, that means it's something that binds. Does that make sense? Yeah. That it's like the fact that we still celebrate Thanksgiving in November and the fact that we eat turkey, like it could have been anything, but like the fact that it's turkey means that like turkey stuck. Right. There was something about turkey that was binding. There and was if something. You tell someone you had prime rib instead of turkey. They're like, "What are you doing? What, what's what are you wrong doing? With you? We don't do that on Thanksgiving. What the hell? Yeah, wrong we don't do that. Yeah, we don't exactly. do that on Thanksgiving, right? Uh, Jonathan Pajot just did something about Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, right? Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer is a created character that was written in this little Christmas pamphlet in like I think maybe like the '40s or something like that for Montgomery Wards. It was something that they gave out at Montgomery Wards. Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. But we're like, no, Rudolph is just a part of my daughter did a Christmas thing at school. Uh, we, just yesterday we were there and Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer is a song there. And it's just like, it's part of it. Well, it's, st it's stuck. So you made it's, it all the way to Saipan. Huh? It's something that binds, yeah. you know, that was, as I was watching, I was like, wow, oh, they're dancing to Jingle Bell Rock. You know what I mean? It's like, these are things that stuck. And so that means that they're good in terms of as a religion because they bind. So they can't stick unless they bind. It's like this emergent evolutionary property. So when I saw these masks, and this is when people, when I've been saying for months, I'm like, the masks are here forever. They're never going away. And people are like, what are you? No, of course, they, of course they're going away. They got to be. And it's like, no, they've stuck. 
You've never seen in one year the entire globe go to this is what you wear when you're out in public. I mean, the, the globally, you know, this is it's fashion. It's clothing. It is clothing. Right. Like because we look at a burqa and we say that's clothing. Mm-hmm. Right. We look at a, a veil that I, I see Bangladeshi women walking around here and they've got their face covered. Like and now suddenly they have masks that are, you know, the, the Spider-Man mask, the Wolverine mask, uh, you know, any any cultural anything you can put on a mask is in there because now it isn't. It's not a medical device. Certainly not a medical no. device. No, it's it is. It is a thing that binds and it's a thing that makes people inside. Or outside. So if you are not wearing a mask in a group of people that are wearing a mask, something is wrong with you at this point. Nine months later. Nine months. If we want to talk about the stickiness of a a meme, of a cultural binding agent, religio, this is super glue. We've never, ever, ever seen anything in human history that has approached this because it, it went global in nine months. And like global in a way to where, dude, even even here, People are wearing masks. We haven't had, I mean, granted, like the way that people wear masks here tells me everything that I need to know. So this is still like, well, it's not, it's not that. So I'll I'll tell you like out on the beach today, there's going to be hundreds of people. Okay. Like maybe thousands, zero of them will be wearing masks. Zero of them will be social distancing. I was just walking on the beach today and I already saw that set up. There's areas for hundreds. They have big fiestas. They have extended families here. They go out on the beach. Hundreds of people are going to be out there. There's tables set up and they've rented awnings and the whole nine lining the whole beach. There'll be thousands of people. You won't see a single mask. Maybe if you see some like Korean couple walking by, like the East Asians will still wear them out in public. That's just, but that's a cultural thing for them too, right? But the locals don't wear them but they will wear them in a store, right? So if they go into a store, it's not been mandated here. So that's not a a requirement of the store. Is it a requirement of the store or a requirement? It, 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 yes. Stores have been, stores are just not walking back from it, Mm -hmm. right? A lot of the stores are owned by like East Asians or whatever. I'm starting to see employees taking them down or just not wearing them and nobody's saying anything and nobody's really been tripping on it. But here it's it's a small island. You don't really, you know, there's only 55,000 people in the Commonwealth. It's like you don't want to get a bad reputation. Reputation here is everything. Everything is these big families. And so the same people who are out on the beach mingling with each other tomorrow will be the people working the checkout line with the mask on. And then they're the person they were just with is going to be walking up with the mask on. Right. And I, it's like, that's kind of weird. Um you know, my, my daughter goes to Catholic school. And so at the Catholic school, exactly same people, they go to the Christmas presentation, everybody's wearing a mask. And it's just like, well, because that's the thing to do. I watch kids who are making YouTube videos. This is this was what really got me. This might and, be, and I, I'm wondering if it's the same thing I was about to bring up, but but go ahead, because I, I saw something to this week that just 
scare the shit out of me really so they so here the kids like to you, you have like a, a big like filipino population so they love to do like group dance things and like singing and whatnot right that perform and they'll do these i see them do the youtube videos like out in the parks on the beach and whatnot so they will practice without the masks on they don't wear masks out in public right but then when they're going to go and make the video they all put on their masks because it's for YouTube and they know it's going out there to everybody. And this is what you're supposed to do now. If you're a young. And so when I saw that, I was like, oh, these are here forever. These are here forever. Because if the youth, right, these are teenagers you know, and, and like 13, 14, 15, whatever. If the youth who are supposed to be the ones like bucking the system or are like, no, let us self police. And do this. Now, mind you, they're not wearing these masks around each other. They're not scared at all. They're doing it completely for the external image so that they could be more like the mainlanders, which is the thing that that you do here, right? Because everybody leaves. If you're a young person and you're successful in school, you leave. And so when I saw that, I was like, okay, they're here forever. The the scariest thing I saw... um regarding masks was recently this week, I saw a video that someone posted online. It was like a compilation of videos of Hmm. parents taking off. Like these are not like, these are like toddlers or children, maybe more than a year or two old. And Hmm. it shows these parents taking masks off. And every time the parents take these masks off, the kids start freaking out and they start crying and screaming and they want, Hmm. I want the mask back. I want the mask back. It's getting so, so deep in them. These kids don't even know night from day, you know, right now they're, they're, they're hardly developed at all, but they already know that they're safe with the mask on. They have this thing where they feel safe with the mask on. So if the mask is removed, suddenly they're not safe. And this is, so now I see it coming in at that level, at that level for like babies that couldn't even tell you what a virus is. Um, But how is that? And that's, that's magic. Yeah, exactly. That's magic. So it has become a magic talisman. And you, when you start introducing, so, so back to like the science and how this is, this, this, that was a long way to go back to this. I think that people first need to understand that the roots of science are in magic. So science, as we know, it came from alchemy, the alchemists. So Isaac Newton was an alchemist, avowed alchemist, John Locke. Right. That's the where we get our political theory from and our idea of what is property and all of this. Lockean Lockean philosophy was an avowed alchemist. So before there was the reason why we get why someone is even thinking, why Newton is even thinking about the laws of nature is because he's doing this magical uh, alchemical practice, which has elements of you need to know a little something about how fireworks and how metals work and how you know the the different substances that you're using of course you're going to start to think about that but we need to remember that 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 magic was a component of that and the meaning was a component of that and it's not like it ever left so it's not like and as you know like i deal with this every day as a bitcoin developer and it's something that like i'm trying to share with people more is that it's like mathematics we're like oh trust the science and all of this and it's like do you understand how spooky advanced math is like the fact that these numbers that we somehow figured out that we that this actually describes the way that the universe works is 
should freak you out. <laughs> if I look but, at that kind of math, I, I may as well be looking at hieroglyphics because it's the exact same. The hieroglyphics might have more meaning to me, actually. Well, think, think about the idea that you can simulate with math the rockets that Elon Musk is shooting up, that he can simulate what that's going to look like and then to land it again, that, that with math, you could simulate all of that and it would reflect what's actually going to happen, that should freak you out. That, that there is something, and, and mind you, that math was there since the beginning of the universe. It had to be. We discovered it. Mm -hmm. It's not like human beings appeared and then all of a sudden one plus one equals two. No, if one plus one didn't equal two, human beings couldn't have even evolved. Right. Like if these weren't the laws, we could never have even discovered them. So that means that they existed. That's magic. That's magic. That's meaning. That's consciousness. We, so when they say trust the science, what is really being said is that like, I have no idea what's going on. I've been led down a path in this material world where I was told that it's th that like, oh, it's very explainable. It's this mechanism. It's this machine that's actually relatively simple that people know there's people out there who actually know how this whole thing works. And they don't know how it works any better than they knew in the dark ages, really, because the deeper they dig, the more they know they don't actually know anything. The deeper they dig, they're like, where is the ground? Where is the foundation? It's not here. And that doesn't help people anyway. What helps people is like, how do I get through my day-to-day -day life? And so where we're at is we're at a place where we human beings have, I, I do believe this is like a tower of Babel moment that we reached the point where we were trying to build this edifice to the sky. And we figured out in so building this edifice to the sky, Holy shit. It doesn't matter. Like we've Elon Musk, SpaceX. Okay. SpaceX. People don't care. They're really not excited about what Elon Musk is. Not really. Not really. They're not more excited about it than they are any than they are a fucking reality show. I'd be curious if those TV. SpaceX videos of those rockets, how those how those views compare to like a flat earth video, for example. Uh yeah. Well, dude, uh, how they how they compare to just like a a, a trailer for you know some random movie right. for, for the next Marvel movie. Probably much, much less, much, much less. So it's like people aren't people are just as excited about some fantasy uh, movie that's the, the Game of Thrones. You know, they're just as excited for the 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 uh, show finale of Game of Thrones as they are for Elon Musk shooting a rocket. Okay, well, when you reach that point, more science is not going to be helpful to your culture or your society. All right, guys, I'm going to be straight with you here. You're only about halfway through this interview, and trust me, it gets even better and better. You're going to want to make sure you pay attention. A great way to do that is to make sure you got a nice cup of joe with you, and nobody brings you coffee. Nobody brings you more premium coffee at affordable prices than our good friends over at Lauren Zotti Italy. You can find more about what these guys are doing on the coffee front by heading over to their website, laurenzotti.coffee, not .com. That's laurenzotti.coffee. Not only that, these guys aren't just 
coffee providers. These guys are entrepreneurs, and they also help other people out there who want to set up their own businesses, their own coffee shops. So they not they don't just help with uh, procuring coffee beans, but they also help with uh, procuring equipment, uh, getting financing for loans, everything you need to start a coffee business. Maybe that should be a goal for 2021. This is going to be the year I finally start that damn coffee shop. Well, if that sounds like you... Then look no further than our friends at Lorenzotti Italy. Head over to Lorenzotti.coffee and do not forget to use discount code LIONS for 15% off your order. So I guess this all begs the question, Vin, if, if we are, if we have entered the dim age, so to speak, and if logic and reason and on the charts and the graphs aren't, aren't going to get us out of these things, aren't going to solve our problems, aren't going to convince people of anything, how does one navigate the dim age. And that's that's what I kind of want to dig into next. And you you often talk about magic and a lot of people might not really understand what what exactly you mean when you say that. Uh, they might picture you conjuring spells and maybe that is kind of what you mean in a, in a way because we are talking about ultimately having to use words and using persuasion. Yes. But what is what is the path forward for anyone listening to th- this thinking, well, this is hopeless then. I, I, I can't. I, I'm not going to be able to do anything in this world in this dim age. I'm just going to have to go along, do whatever I can do to get by and, you know, maybe form my own agorist community and try to get as, as, as far away from these people as possible. But other than that, how can we actually navigate this society, this world, not become total hermits and actually function with these people who are trusting the science or what have you? Well, okay. So when I say magic, what I mean by magic or the definition of magic is the altering of reality through force of will. And I'm really using it in the way that uh, as sort of an allusion to Arthur C. Clarke, he's got these Clarke's three rules, which are very famous, but the most famous is the third rule. And the third rule uh, says, any sufficiently advanced technology is indistinguishable from magic. So, and there's also a corollary that says, any technology that that can be distinguished from magic is insufficiently advanced. Okay, so anything that looks like magic is just a very advanced technology. That's it. Must be. There's no such thing as magic. There's only very, very advanced technology. And so changing it, magic is when you change reality through force of will, right? So I can like, I want it. There's a nail or there's a board, right? I want to attach this board to this board. So I get a nail and I get a hammer and I hit it in, and you see, oh, there's a nail, it's going in, or there's a screw, and I screw it with the screwdriver. These are crude tools, right? Crude technology does not look like magic. If I just take the board, and then I take another board, and I go, bong, and they stick together, and you're looking, and you're like, how do, what the hell, how does, how is it sticking together? It's like magic. It's like, clearly, it's not magic. It's, I have access to some sort of technology that you don't understand, right? So, look around, And look around at all the technology you have and see how much of it you actually understand at the level that you understand a screw, even if you understand how a screw works, right? Can you tell me how they made that screw? Can you tell me how they got those, how every, they got it so every single screw has the threads in exactly the same place and is exactly the same size to fit exactly the same screwdriver? Can you tell me that? Can you tell me what metal it's made out of? No, nobody can. Nobody can. And that's, and it's so just accept you're in a world with technology that is sufficiently advanced such that it's indistinguishable from magic. Okay. So now we've reached that point. This is not the first time in history we've reached that point. That's why Rome turned into ruins. Nobody could use it anymore. Nobody could, could knew how to fix the aqueducts. 
I mean, the aqueducts were working for some period of time, and then they ceased working. They broke. And when they broke, nobody knew how to fix them. Well, that's exactly what would happen right now if all of the parts ran out for your iPhone. Like if Apple stopped making parts and nobody made parts anymore, eventually your iPhone would break, and then you would just have no more iPhone. That's what it would be. And then maybe an archaeologist hundreds of years from now would find, you know, a pile of iPhone screens or something. So we've been through this. And it's funny that you say, well, how can we survive this without just like becoming a hermit? (laughs) And that's kind of weirdly enough, like that's kind of how the dark age was survived. Mm -hmm. That was sort of the adaptational process. If you go back to right around the time that like the people that are called like the church fathers and the Christian church. I mean, one of the reasons why Byzantium stuck around why it didn't fall is because it adopted a religion. This is an interesting difference between the West and the East was that they adopted a religion and then they didn't really change it. They just like kept it. And for some reason that is correlated with the Eastern Roman empire sticking around and the Western Roman empire falling. There's a, there's whether it's caught, whether it caused it, whether it's correlated, who knows? What we see now is we see a brand new religion. A brand new religion is rising. And I think that if we look at this religion, uh, it, is a, it is not an empowering religion, clearly, from what you've been describing. If we're going to create a group of people who are going to be scared to take, to take a cloth when they're walking around without a cloth mask on. That's what, that's what I think about when those babies are adults. If you think the people bad now are, are that are screaming at people for masks, imagine these children that have grown up literally thinking that this is the only thing keeping them safe. Imagine how they're going to react to people that don't wear a mask. Well, I mean, if they're already if, left by then. If you want to know what this is like, I mean, I think most people listening to this will be able to relate to the idea of like, okay, imagine yourself out and about. You reach in your pocket or your purse or your handbag, as the case may be, and all of a sudden, where's my phone? Where's my phone? Absolute I don't have my panic. phone. <laughs> Absolute panic. Exactly. Everybody can... And think about those... I, I had a... I, I remember having the, the clamshell flip phones and stuff. That's not... That wouldn't have been my reaction when I had those things. Yeah. I was not attached to it in that way. Right. Back then it would just be like, oh, I guess it's probably back in my house. I'll just call somebody. And and it was, oh, it would have broken anyway. Yeah. You know what I mean? And then I would probably have to get another one anyway. But now it's like, we've got photos on there. I've got my bank is on there. I've got my, you know, oh, where's I'm going to have to reload everything. I've got, what about all my contacts? What about all this? You know, and it's like that panic already to the point where, oh, here's this limb. So, of course, of course, that's the society that is like, well, let's add another thing, right? Let's add this other thing that I always have to have. And then let's add this other thing that I always have to have. And then let's add this shot that I have to put inside of me that I, ha- that I must have. And then, oh, I need to have a card that goes along with that. And I need to, and it's just like one thing after the other thing after the other. And the reason why is, and this gets to your point about how you survive this, the reason why is lack of meaning. You're you're adding things to yourself because you do not feel that what you have is enough. And so it's going to take, the, the way to survive this is that it's going to take, you're going to need to find a community of people 
and how it happened before, you know, like this is when we saw the church fathers, we saw monks, we saw all, and, and, you know, a few, a few hundred years later, couple hundred years later, we see, uh, you know, a guy outside of Mecca going into a cave and basically doing the same sorts of things. And he comes up with like the next big religion that gives a ton of people meaning. And those people who have meaning go and basically take over most of what used to be the Roman Empire, certainly the southernmost part and all the way up into Spain. Right. And I'm talking about Muhammad and Islam. And so and that was what was being delivered was meaning. And still, even to this day, we see that like one of the hallmarks of that religion and what makes it able to have this massive clash of civilizations is that it's like, okay, I'll strap a bomb onto my body. Like that's how little it's worth. You know, like it's, it's what's really worth something is something greater and outside and intangible. And so what we're going to have to get to is we're the only way to survive this. The only way to survive this is individuals. And this is, look, dude, this is so hard. Like, it's not like an easy solution or an easy answer, but it's something that like I've taken up myself as a practice because who would I be to say, this is what we need to do if I'm not willing to do it. And I'm You'd be like that physical trainer from, who just gives yeah. you one, tells you about one workout, but goes and does another one. This is, I mean, but this is, this is me. And this is like what I've dedicated my life to. And this is what I, I have reintegrated as a part of my practice. And luckily I've had some of this throughout my life, but it's like, you've got to find something. And it probably, it, you know, for a lot of people, I think the people who are, who are, really thriving this year you look around and you see people who have like rediscovered their religion you know people who were raised especially in the catholic or orthodox church seem to be thriving more than anybody right now because they have something to go back to they're like okay i have some foundation something to be a part of i'm seeing more and more people like i'm returning to my you know parish where i'm at and there's tons of young people again not so much like evangelical Christians, not so much like Protestants, but Catholics and Orthodox, it seems like, because those are the ones that have already rituals. It's like, no, we've already got some rituals. I don't need the mask ritual because I've got this ritual. I, I don't need the vaccine ritual because I have this ri- ritual. And it also has some rituals that you can do by yourself. There's less of that void there that other people are filling. that don't have this any kind of practice yes. in their life. Now they have a practice. Now they have a thing they do. I put on my mask every morning. I go outside. I social distance. I'm part of this. I'm part of something bigger. And that's, I think it's to come to the realization. And this is what, this is what has, our culture has been trying to deny for at least three generations now. And it was a, a bad move. It was a, a um, unsustainable move is the idea that, you know what, all of one, hu- every human being is an island. There is no history or anything like that. You can write your own future of what it's going to be. You're unaffected by the past. You're unaffected by your family. You're unaffected by your culture. All of those things are nothing. That's the, that was the first big mistake. Um, and then number two, it, it was that, that ritual is like superstition or not real. And that even though we were practicing, it's like Super Bowl, Super Bowl Sunday. I mean, if that's not a ritual, right? Yeah. It, that even though we were practicing rituals, it was couched in this sort of um, commercialized 
you know, th- this this environment of the commercial to where it was like it it, it was meaningless. And the and Super so, Bowl is so much of a ritual that even the regular followers followers of the church, even people that don't watch NFL, couldn't tell you one thing about mm-hmm. any of the teams involved. Of course, they're compelled to go to Super Bowl Sunday. Of course, they're compelled to go to church on on Christmas. You know, it's it's the big holiday. But, well, I'll make it for that one, of course. That's well, and and isn't that the typical thing when people are like, yeah, I was raised, you know, you know, that type of Catholic, like church on Easter, church on Christmas. And it's like Super Bowl Sunday. And not only do they go to the Super Bowl, but they wear the jersey. Like you'll see women who have never watched a football game besides Super Bowl Sunday get all done up for Super Bowl Sunday in the jersey, the whole night. And it's like, yo, man, if this is not church on uh, Easter, and it's even called an Easter dress and an Easter hat, right? Like the idea was that, you, yeah, everybody's going to get dressed up and go and do it. And so the thing is to not deny religion. That's the big danger of the dim age because a religion is being pushed. It's being pushed onto you. The only way, the only way that you're not going to be sucked into that and suffer is if you outright have another religion. And when you outright have another religion, like one of the things that happens is, and I know you've done this, I've done this. It's weird that I see people who their mind is not even here, but it's like you leave, you leave. There would be no United States of America. If some people, they say, oh, well, escaping religious persecution. That's not accurate. That's not accurate. It's not religious persecution. It was the idea that the state, there was a state religion. That state religion required them to do things that were antithetical to their religion. And so they had to leave. The pilgrims came, they landed on Plymouth, all of this, they left. And th- But it can go really bad, like it can go Nazi style it can go soviet style where they did the same thing and and like knocked out all of the churches or it can be like even weirder one like spanish inquisition so people don't know about the spanish inquisition that like the inquisition was not against people who wouldn't convert and i think this is more what people need to think about so the spanish inquisition you know after the spain after uh the spanish uh king and queen basically took back over spain took it from the moors the the Muslims we were talking about who had taken over much of the old Roman empire who had, you know, a relatively like open and civilized society, you know, that was very uh, sort of pluralistic. These people came in Ferdinand and Isabella, they took it over. Basically they expelled everybody who wouldn't convert. If you didn't convert, you just couldn't live here. You're expelled gone. A lot of Muslims and a lot of Jews, there were Sephardic Jews. there, converted. They called them conversos. Now, the Inquisition was against the conversos. So it was against people who had previously said, that's not me. And then they were like, "Ah, but I want to stay. So, okay, I'll go to church on Easter, right? Mm -hmm. But if if you were accused of secretly still practicing your religion, then the Inquisition came for you. Right. This kind of makes me think of of some of the like the restaurant tours out here in Los Angeles yes. right now. Yes. Uh, you know that now they have they're just again shutting them down, and they have like uh, there's one video that like a public health department uh, coming out, and the guys just going off and going off. But 
these guys all voluntarily shut down with them and I'll comply with it nine months ago. So they already kind of agreed to the whole concept. And only now when they really realize, oh, shit, no, this is for real. This is really going to be happening all the time. This is how it is now. Now they want to fight back. But now you've already kind of conceded the entire our entire game. Well, this is history repeats itself. This is history repeats itself. I saw one thing where there was this person who was talking about, I'm being shut down. And again, L.A. County, I'm being shut down after I spent $80,000 putting putting the outdoor seating and doing all of this. And it's like, yo, man, not only did you go along, you bent over backwards to go along because because you figured you had the $80,000. See, the little taco shop that never had outdoor seating anyway, you figured, oh, well, they're gone. You looked at your across-the-street competitor who was just struggling to barely make it by but was still taking money from you or was just a, a newly started up. They don't have that eighty grand to do that. They're not an established business. So you were like, ah, well, they're going out of business. They're going... But I'm going to be able to make it through. See, I can. I'll I can just comply. I'll money. put up my. Yeah, I'll put up the screens. I'll. I'll. I'll be social yeah, distant. I'll do, I'll, yeah. I'll just. I'll just go along and. Wow, the state is putting my competitors out of business. They're putting my competitors out of business. And you know what? That's exactly what the conversos were doing. Because many of them, you got to remember, they were the ones in charge. They were the bureaucrats, especially the Sephardic Jews. Like the the Moors were the 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 landed wealthy class, but sort of the bureaucratic class, the people who were running the the bureaucracy, the treasury, the collecting taxes, doing all of that. A lot of that was being run by Sephardic Jews, the top merchants, and all of this. And so it's like, well, okay, they kicked out our bosses. Right. The Moors are gone. They got kicked out or they died in battle or whatever. They were fighting for it. Okay. But we're still here. And these guys are here in charge now. And what's the real difference? Sultan or king and queen? Like, what's, and they say, I got to go to this little thing and do this. Oh, whatever. I I can, I can do that. I can put up the $80,000 to do the outside seating. And it's like, no, no, (laughs) no, because, uh, we know that that's not for real. And you've now agreed with the entire tenants, all the tenants the premise, of the religion. The, yep, so now you have yep. to follow it. Now, and if you don't, if you don't, you'll be treated as an apostate. You're not treated as a non-believer. See, mm-hmm. you're treated as something worse because now you're lying. Mm-hmm. Now you're not participating in this, even though you said you were, right? If So if social distancing doesn't actually help to protect people, why were you willing to spend $80,000 to make sure that you could social distance? Why were you sending out emails to your mailing list saying, we take every precaution to keep our patrons safe. And that's the reason why we've instituted this. See, I saw this from the beginning. All the businesses that did that, there was the coffee place that I used to go to, to write uh, when I was still in California in the mornings. You know, when it all started, I saw them say, oh, well, you know, we're instituting this and like we're moving these things around and we're trying to keep everybody safe. And I was like, you're going to go out of business. Three months later, out of business. That's it. That's it. You can't you can't agree to go along with the religion. And that, well, I mean, you can, but you better figure out that it's a religion, right? Right. You better figure out this is a religion. And then you you, it would really behoove you if you care. And this is this is why libertarians are losing right now. 
big time. One of the reasons that that libertarians are losing is because, by and large, the libertarian movement has been anti-religion. By and large, been very logic and reason, very atheist, anti-religion, even though the basis of the movement is completely religious. I mean, 100% religious. You know, the, I mean, the Declaration of Independence, endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that's religion. Right. That's the entire shit is based on religion. That's religion. Endowed by their creator. That's religion. You can't start on that foundation and then be like, no, but you know, I don't, I don't, you know, I don't really go in for all that religion stuff. But it's like, well, where do your rights come from? Where do rights come? Where do your rights come from? Well, I got this chart right here that show, oh wait, no. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. No, but this and this is the point that you're not going to be able to defeat a religion with charts and graphs. That's why I'm trolling Tucker and others is that that's what you really think you're going to do. You're going to defeat a religion. You can't even like. The only the thing you can really do is give red meat to your own religion, like libertarianism. Yes. Like we like, I'll be like, Oh yeah, he's right. But I'm like, but this doesn't matter to anybody else that, uh, that he's right. So it's just for me. It's for us. It's for people to say, all right. Well, and does, it, does it even matter to libertarians? Because at the end of the day, they're still humans. Mm. And we still have, there's still normative social influence. So we are still going to go with the herd most of the time. We have to. And so the only thing that you have is to find your own faith. It's the, I, I hate to say it, but it's like, it's not to say that you need to expect that you are going to be thrown to the lions. It's not to say, uh, to expect that you're going to be, you know, hung up and tortured or whatever. But the idea and the story of like these martyrs is that it's like, and it's not just Christian martyrs, but it's like there were, you know, during the Nazi regime, you know, there were Jews who stood up during the the um, pogroms Protect, in, in protecting Russia. a Jew is almost worse than being a Jew. There you go. And there were people who did because they had something inside of them and they were willing to risk what was going to happen. What, what could potentially happen. And the only reason you're willing to risk that is because you have some view of what's right. And so people are going to have to develop that. Unfortunately, I don't, Unfortunately, I don't see that in a lot of the libertarian movement. I think it's been a disappointing thing for those of us who, who actually have, who, who actually are willing to put it on the line. Um, I'm not talking about necessarily like an armed revolution, but I'm talking about something as simple as grab your kids, get on a plane and go somewhere where the tyrants aren't. Mm. Even if it's like, well, what about the schools? Well, how are the schools? What? Could you imagine if a Czechoslovakian Jew would have been like, well, but they have a great math department. Don't you yeah, understand? I can't, like, I can't get on a, a, a boat and go, go to America and get away from these Nazis, you know, or get away from these Soviets because, well, what about the schools? They, they have, don't have, they have a lunch program. They have milk every day. I mean, <laughs> it's, it's, yeah, it's absolutely incredible, man. Like it's, and, and so it's just like, wow, if you're not even willing to do that, 
If you're not even willing to do that, there's not 1776 will not commence. Okay. Because that's a much larger commitment. <laughs> and they're like, well, when it gets bad enough, when it gets, ba- well, dude, dude, no, because like way before that you've left and you haven't left. People leave first. Like why? What, you leave first. <laughs> you know what I mean? And, but people aren't. They're sticking around. So I believe that it, I believe it'll continue and it'll get much worse. I think what a lot of people might be thinking, listening to this, is they might think, okay, I pick up and leave. But, you know, if this is happening globally, this is like a global shift. It's not like I can just necessarily per se leave the U.S. Like if I go to Paris, I'm not I'm not anywhere better. So what would you say to those that say like, okay, so leave. And, and then what? Like, like, what if I leave? I go somewhere else and the culture's there too. The mass culture's there too. The same thing's happening there. How is... But the what, same what thing isn't happening everywhere. Physical? Yeah. The same thing isn't happening everywhere. And the places that you have to, the places that you have to go are the places that have a strong culture. It's one of the things that I've, that, that has impressed me about being here in Saipan um, is that, you know, the culture here is 3000 years old. Now they've had a lot of influence. They've had the Spanish came and took it over. Then the Germans were here and the Japanese. Then obviously the Americans came in and bombed the crap out of it, you know, and there's still tanks in the lagoon from, from world war II. The battle of Saipan was a big deal. And they, you know, everybody here is an American citizen, but you know, you're hard pressed to find like a white American walking around. That's just kind of not here. And, you know, the official language that everything has to be in is Chamorro, uh, n- not English. Like if on government buildings, it's Chamorro first. Um, so and and the people here are ancient families there. There's like, you know, a dozen big families. They have all the political power. There's not a white American in elected office here. Not a single one. You know, and, and the people who are it's who hold all the political power and who hold the cultural strings there, they recognize their culture as being old. But you see the same thing. Is, you know, Turkey is one of the most open places in the world right now. Anybody can come into It's one of the most open places. Why? It's one of the oldest cultures. I can it's, see that too. Uh, you know, as you know, I was in Mexico for a few months over mm-hmm. the summer, kind of escaping for for a bit there. Uh, and what I noticed too, Mexico was also one of the few countries that say completely open. There was never mm-hmm. a restriction as far as coming and going. Uh, but I think a large part of that is, I mean, this isn't biological speaking in terms of a virus, but the culture is so strong. The culture is mm-hmm. so incredibly strong. It is a it is like a family culture. I mean, you go to Mexico. Mm-hmm. I mean, mi casa es tu casa as, is mm-hmm. is how it is. I mean, that that is the truth, and it, it is that way. You're treated that way if you're if you're a gringo coming in who's an outsider, or if you're you know someone who's been there forever. And I think cultures like I can see a lot of similarities between strong cultures, cultures where maybe it's not a specific religion. There are some people are Catholic, some people are what, but the mm-hmm. the culture is is even a greater religion than all that. The culture of a family, yes. the culture of we, we are truly looking out for each other. That supersedes anything the government could do. I think I think that's a so going to places where the family is primary is that will especially extended families, right? I'm half Mexican. So like I totally that the idea of family <laughs> and the Mexicans listening, uh, even those who, who are like third and fourth and fifth generation and live somewhere else are going to be like, oh, yeah, I mean, it is pressed into you that there is nothing more important than family. Mm-hmm. And, you know, your your aunties and uncles, and you don't even know how they're really related to you. Are they second cousins, third cousins? If they're older than you. That's your uncle. They're <laughs> your same age. That's your cousin. You know what I mean? Like, that's just how it works. And 
And if you need, if, if, you know, some cousin that I don't know, and this has happened before, you know, calls me up and is like, Hey, you know, this happened in LA a couple of times. Like, Hey, I'm that USC now and whatever. And it's like, okay, I think I've met you maybe one time at some family reunion, like 10 years ago, but come on over. Okay. Come on over. Right. Like this is here. I'm here. What do you need? Let me know anything because I know that the same situation is true. If I'm, if I'm in his city in Mexico and that, and that's the same thing that's here. And that's the same thing in Turkey. And that's the same thing in any of the places, you know, where the family hasn't been atomized, where people are like, no, no, we, we're, we're together. That's where people are not going to rely on the state, on the experts, because there's something greater and something more. And so this is going to be a time to develop communities. I know that, yeah, people are like, well, where do I go if I go here and go there? And it's like, but have you even looked? Right. Like, yeah, that's most not, people saying that are not the ones that have like spent spent the last two weeks researching twenty different places they could go. They're people that aren't even going to do that. No, and 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 so then it's like, okay, well, then who do you want to stop it? Who do you want to stop it? Or you, you're waiting for the Donald next libertarian Trump? presidential candidate. <laughs> you're waiting for Joe Jorgensen to get more than one uh, percent of the vote. Like who? Who is going to stop it? You know, if you if you are not willing to take two weeks of research to find out if there's someplace. Now, look, I'm here and I'm telling you there's someplace you can go. I'm telling you that I'm I'm in it. I'm here. I'm actually sitting next to a guy who came from Germany to come here. Who had to travel for three weeks because he had to be outside of the Schengen zone for two. Jesus. So he got on a plane, went to Istanbul, stayed there for two weeks, then made multiple flights, including he had to end up staying overnight in like a supply closet in Narita Airport in Japan to leave. And it's like, if you don't at least want to get, and now Germany is under hard lockdown, hard lockdown for I'd say the, weeks I'd say the trip at least. was worth it. Yeah. Well, do you not want to be under hard lockdown? What is it worth to you to not be under lockdown? Because if it's not worth it to you, then it's if it's not worth it to you to do anything about it, why on earth would the politicians stop? If you stay, why would they stop? Yeah. Like if 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 they can shut down your business and yeah, that guy was yelling at those people. Right. Those code enforcement officers. But I've dealt with code enforcement officers. They're a bunch of psychopaths. They love that. It's excitement for their day. They love watching you look like a fool. And then they walk out and they're like, well, you're shut down anyway. Ha! Look at the power that we have. That's why they became code enforcement officers to be able to do that. That's what they do all day. They love it. They love destroying people's uh, living. They love it. Destroying people's lives. Right. And it's like, okay, but you didn't pull out a gun and shoot them. You didn't do really, you yelled at them. You got upset. You went back, right? they That's left, it. and then you started sanitizing your plexiglass again. That's <laughs> it. That's it. And and you're still you're still out of a business. Mm-hmm. You didn't leave. You know? Could you have taken that eighty thousand dollars and started again somewhere else? Probably. Probably. And so, you know, I mean, I look, I said this before. It's when when was the last time we talked? June, something like that? It was like June, that? yeah, it was back in June. So June, 
So June, I remember you sort of asked me a similar question. And uh, my response to you, I remember exactly my response. It was get your shit and go. That is uh, that's verbatim. That is verbatim. Think about three times emphasized higher each time was the the exact. uh, Get your shit and go. That was June. This is December, July, August, September. You had six. You would have had had you listened. You would have been somewhere and established for now six months. How would your life be different? Would you be looking forward to more lockdowns or could you have been in a place where there aren't where the lockdowns are not happening? It's six months enough time. Look, you could have planned. You could have saved. You didn't need to. Maybe you didn't go right then. Right. But it's like when how much worse do you let it be? That was six months ago. Or have you at least, uh, if you're the person saying where to go six months ago, are you saying that now today? Or have you at least, have you opened up Google? <laughs> have you done you something? Didn't ta- you didn't take a few hours in six months? In six months. Because maybe I just didn't know what the hell I was talking about. Right? Like, maybe... Or, and so now are you listening? And now it's like, well, this guy is obviously, he's obviously crazy. He obviously has no insight whatsoever. No insight whatsoever. Never mind the fact that I have been since April in a place with no lockdown. Never mind that fact. Right? That, that, but I obviously know nothing. I was in Southern California. You know, and, and people are like, oh, I don't have the, I don't have the money to go and do that. Like, do you know that for sure? Do you do you actually know that for sure? You know, oh, I, there I, are so I, many places you can go where you need much less money than you currently have. So much almost less. everywhere. Yeah, almost everywhere. And 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 what is it worth? What is it? Could could you in six months have researched? Not only a place, but possibly where you could have, where like employment, all of that. In six months, if you were dedicated to it, could you not have made some phone calls in six months? Did you, what? They were obviously listening to podcasts. Could you not <laughs> have, know like, they didn't put, lose their iPhone and, and have a panic Didn't lose the iPhone. <laughs> they were all over Twitter. It's like, yo, man, like t- for just an instant. And, and, and so I think that that goes sort of full circle to like, what is the solution? And, and what is the thing that, you know, I wake up in the morning now and the most powerful thing that, that I have done yet, and I was just thinking this today about how different my life is. I used to wake up and for years and years and years, very first thing that I would do, grab my phone, check my phone. I mean, first within minutes of my eyes opening, pick up my phone, check my phone and boom, I'm right to it. Now... No, I put my phone on the table. I live right on the beach, which is nice, like which you could do if you lived here. I live right on the beach, open my back gate, walk onto the beach, right? I go down, do my morning prayers, my morning workout, all of this, come back. By that time, I'm feeling fully rejuvenated. I'm inspired, do some writing. Then I go and pick up my phone hours later, hours later. Once you're yourself, once you're in your, your good place, but you don't want to start your day 
with this bombardment of damage insanity coming at you left to right with the you know the church of woke blasting you with nonsense people getting angry at each other if that's how you start your day you're never going to get to the part of the day where you're where you're rejuvenated and you're well you're you, you just well you, there is no part of the day where because it's <laughs> exactly, like most yeah. people start and end their day and then what do you have you have when you're asleep you have when you're asleep that's it and it's the, and 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 then you are in it probably like the, the, the the biggest change i've seen in my life uh, over the last year is you know incorporating yoga in the morning and and trying yes. and i don't do it every day there are certain days when i yeah i get up and i've got to go to work soon i start on the phone but oh, I, me too. I, I can tell a <laughs> massive difference between the day that i get up on my on my, on my phone and i start doing that stuff from the days that i get up i don't look at it i go do an hour and a half of yoga i take the time to meditate afterwards mm-hmm. that is a totally different day than the other kind of day mm-hmm. no matter what else happens afterwards the way i'm going to deal with what happens afterwards is going to be totally different uh i'm not going to snap at things i'm not i'm going to be at peace i'm going to be fine that day the other day mm, probably not well and you and so you go and you look like i've looked at the like go and read the rule of saint benedict it's kind of interesting it's uh you know there's benedictine monks christian monks they follow the rule of saint benedict it's basically a rule of how to live as a monk that was written by saint benedict who was who was a monk in the dark beginning of the dark ages follow the roman empire and that's a huge part of it. A huge part of it is get up before sunrise and, and get into this spiritual practice. Right. And so whether that's, I mean, my, my own morning workout incorporates the yoga and the stretching as well, as well as the resistance stuff. And I've got, and you know, and I used old prayers. I used the Jesus prayer, which is just basically a mantra. Right. And it's like these things, look at what we're talking about. We're talking about these old ancient forms. These are ancient forms. Like, why, why did people adopt these as something to say, do it every day? Well, why? Because it really makes a difference. And it makes you who you are. And then you can see that other thing, right? As the, as the, the, the Hindus, the Indians would say that, like, then you see the Maya, the illusion that's coming at you, that's the dim age, and you're able to be like, Oh, that's an illusion. Mm-hmm. That's not that's the reality. Not that's not what I need to be concerned about and freaking out about all day. Get into your own reality. Find find yourself first. Realize what's real. And then the illusions just kind of melt around you. And then f- and find communities of people who are willing to do the same. Mm-hmm. Right? And 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 that goes into, you know, when you're like, oh, I gotta go off and be a hermit. But it's like, but that was what the monastic tradition was about. That's why when the dark ages started to pop. And these people who were, most of them were Greek or Latin speaking. So you imagine you're a Latin speaking person. There's this, you, you come up in this world where like Rome is everything, the culture of Rome, it's the language that you speak in, it's all of this, and you're watching it crumble in front of you. You're watching it crumble. And the meaning that is you, you think in Latin and you're watching it crumble. What do you do? You've got to refine something inside of you. Who am I? And that's what those practices are. And then the idea was that for some reason, all of these people started to gather together. And those were, and, and that was the tradition from which all of Western, the Western intellectual tradition continued. The Western culture continued. It was the monks who were called the church fathers. It was, it was those spiritual practices, but the same is true in India. 
in the East. The same is true even further east when you're getting into like Tai Chi and you're getting into Qigong and you're getting into all of these practices as well. It's like, why do those stick? They stick because like that's what's that's an attachment to something that's real. You know, fasting, all of these things, it's an attachment to something that's real. And it's like, do that. That's it doesn't have to be in a religious context, but believe me, it's going to get real religious real fast if you're real serious about it. Yeah, there's no doubt about that because I I am kind of one of those people that at least when I was younger, I I you know I was raised in a Jewish household, but I kind of mm-hmm. rejected the the dogmatic religion, sure. and I kind of I guess I had like an atheist or at least like agnostic, but really atheist phase, and um, I don't know if I necessarily believe in deities per se, but I absolutely found religion simply through non-religious practices, you know, through meditation, mm-hmm. through yoga, through, and and not just the practices themselves, but what you realize about the, the rest of everything else by doing these practices. I mean, it's it's just, like, I just, just one example, like, I, there something happened a couple weeks ago in a parking lot. A guy kind of got angry about something, and I, five years ago, Mark, would have been screaming at this guy. Would have been, mm-hmm. we would have mm-hmm. been yelling at each other. I mean, I, and, and instead, I just, I didn't even, I didn't do this consciously. I just noticed, I just, I just said, Hey, what's wrong? What, why are we upset here? And I can't remember what talking about. Mm. What's up? What? Let's exchange numbers. You know, there's no problem here. It's, everything's fine. And I saw him like come down. I didn't, I didn't really realize this as I was doing it, but my wife kind of mentioned afterwards. She's like, "Oh yeah, that's because of the yoga." You know, because that. Yeah. Because I was like, "What? I'm not going to be. I just did. I, I'm in this place. I'm not going to just become this angry, angry, angry person after after having that start to my day after after doing this for weeks and weeks and weeks. Uh, I, I don't think I could get to that place if I wanted to. And why would I ever want to? But it was amazing to actually see my own sort of spirit about it actually change his demeanor completely because mm-hmm. he clearly was ready for a fight. Maybe not a fist fight, but he wanted. He was ready to yell. He's ready to be angry. And mm-hmm. I just would not get into that game. I just instead just kind of went into my like uh, you know Jedi Jedi mind trick Zen place, and I just like I calmed the whole situation down, and then. It was fine. And and this is, you know, fear, fear and anger are really indistinguishable from one another in terms of the at the height, you know, the the adrenaline rush, the all of the it's it's so similar physiologically of intense fear and intense anger because they're they're made to do, give you the same thing, fight or flight, right? That they're they're meant for the same biological for the same action to take place right that's the that's the the purpose of these two emotions and we're in a state of heightened fear and you've got to actively like you've got to actively protect yourself from that and the way to do that is exactly as you've said there like you you have to daily take that shit down like it's got, you've got to get back and get centered. And that's a real thing. Maybe it wasn't so necessary when we were not in this global fear state, but that's making people sick. To, people are committing suicide. Suicides are like rampant now. And suicides that are, that, you know, in people's suicide notes, they're attributing it to the, the lockdowns, the fear, the, you know, all of this stuff, they're attributing them taking their own life. It's easier to take their own life than to continue, you know, potentially living through what we're living through. And so it's this, it's individual action. Um, And I know, I know that you have taken upon yourself, but I, I mean, I do think that like set and setting is important. So mindset is important, but also where you are is so so crucial and i think that the people who 
even if what you start out doing is you just start out with these practices, take on a practice with the idea that, you know what, I'm going to, to do it daily and I'm going to try to get better at it and see, see how long, because as you get better at the practice, you're going to have a longer period of time throughout your day. And you're going to be like, oh, that's good. Oh, that worked. Try adding something else. And as you move forward, you're going to realize like, ah, the place needs to be different. Mm -hmm. But this is somebody, anybody who practices anything, right? So it doesn't matter whether whether it's a a professional and artisanal practice. It doesn't matter whether it's um, a straight artistic practice. If you're a dancer, if you're a, a if if you're a visual artist and you're a painter, you're going to want a studio. You know, if you if you do yoga, there's going to be some places that are better than others. There's a reason why people go and do yoga on a beach. There's a reason why people go and do yoga on a mountaintop or meditate there, find a place a meditation spot, you know? There's there's a reason for that. It's because it's better. Right? The yeah. the setting makes it better. And if part of your practice you know, I mean, for years I I was a bodybuilder. And so it was like, I had to be where I lived, had to be close to a great gym. That was just a part of my life. I would choose where I was going to live based upon what's the distance to the gym. That was a real, that was a, like a major concern because I was going to be in the gym every day, right? If somebody's a vegan, they'll probably have the same sort of consideration about like, okay, where is, where can I get my vegan groceries? right? Where can I get a, a vegan food? Where are the restaurants? They'll probably choose to live somewhere like that, right? And so the same thing is do the practice and then where you need to be be- starts to become really obvious. Yeah. If you, uh, if you get into a really spiritual calm place, uh, being in a major lockdown American city is not going to really jive with that, yeah. the spirit and the place that you're at. Uh, I could say that no. actually from personal experience. So yeah. No. So, <laughs> um, and, 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 and that's, uh, but I think that that it's, it's such the answer you know, that people don't want to hear, well, what do I need to do? Well, you need to like, you need to find a practice that is going to center you so that you can actually make good decisions. Then, then you don't need any advice from me about what to do because now you have the workout, right? Like we were talking about the personal trainer, like, no, now you have the workout the personal trainer is doing. You design your own workout ultimately, you know, that's the one you're going to do. And, and the, the kind of the cool part about it and why I say it gets religious really fast is like, as you start to try to get better, and I'm sure that you found this as well, and you start researching, it's like all of the answers to all of this stuff is there mm-hmm. in like all sorts of different traditions. And it's really old and it's been around forever. And for the most part, it's out there for free, but you just got to look for it. And then you start to, as you start to read the philosophy of the individuals who are also practicing what you're practicing. You're like, Oh, now I start to understand what these things mean. You know, now I start, and I mean, especially when you, if people who are Judeo Christian, it's like you start having some meditative practice, you start getting into, you know, the a sort of a, any sort of awareness meditation or whatever. And then you go back and read scriptures. You start to see like, Oh, 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 that's what that means okay, okay, like this was somebody practicing this. Oh, that's the metaphor that they're using. Okay, all right, I get it now. This makes a little more sense to me. It's not just like go and like rote worship it in Sunday school type of stuff, right? Exactly. It's like, oh, this is like actual somebody speaking from experience here of experiencing something that I'm experiencing right now. And so 
this is like there's a, a religion being foisted. I think the, basically the long and short is like there's a religion that is being introduced, and I'm not convinced that that. And this is the the Church of Woke. I call it the COVID face. That's a, that's the introduction to the Church of Woke. This is the this is the religion being introduced. I think the most the the thing about this is that it's like it's a state religion that's going to just be put on like as though it was reality. But that's tr- that was true of like the palace Athena, the temple to Athena on top of Athens. The city was named after Athena, and it wasn't just like this is a religion. It was like this is reality. This is what reality is, that these gods exist and that we go and we do these things and there's a temple up there and she's the one protecting the city. And that was reality. And that's just like the masks. Got to take it that way. Take it as a religion. Decide whether you want to be part of that religion. Some people do. Some people really do. Like this is this totally resonates with them. Otherwise, it wouldn't be happening. If you don't want to be part of the religion, you need to find something within yourself that is going to give you the ability to make decisions about where you need to be, who you need to be around, and what you need to be doing and thinking in order to not be, you know, to to not fall into the suffering part of that religion coming in. And that's basically it. All right, I think that's pretty pretty damn good advice uh, coming into the. I guess not coming into. I think I guess we're already here. We're we're already in the dim age. So uh, you can it. either accept that we're in it, accept what's going on around you, and and you know act like it's not really happening, or you can yeah try to find your religion in some way or another. But uh, mm-hmm. Vin, thanks so much for coming on, man. It's been a, been a blast, man. It's always always great talking to you. And uh, you know keep up what you're doing. I'll let you uh, if you have any more final words before I let you sign off here. Feel free to uh, to shine away. Maybe it's just another one last you know get your shit and get out of here. But <laughs> <laughs> I I. I I think I think um, going going internally and seeing this as a grand opportunity. People have been talking about the Great Reset. Take that take that on as not being uh, something negative. You have an opportunity to reset, and obviously, life is not going back to the way that it's going that that it had been. Life is it's now changed forever. And I think the people who realize that are at a distinct advantage from people who are, are pining for it to go back to some other time. So if it hasn't, if it isn't going to go back to how it is now, you have the opportunity to, to find a new you and that's a great opportunity. And it's, you're able to do it at a time when there's a lot of other people who are, are wanting to do it and who are doing it as well. And so it's like, find who you are, I know that sounds very cliche, but I think that it's really uh, appropriate right now because you're going to need to know who you are and then find the group of people that resonates with you because community is a, a big part of this whole thing. Um, but it's going to start, it's going to start with individuals doing their own thing. And I think, you know, take this as the, take this as a grand opportunity. Yeah. I, I see so many people out there saying 2020 is the worst year ever. And I see why, if you just look at all the things around, mm-hmm. around, around to me, 2020 was the best year of my life by far. It's not even close uh, mm-hmm. because I've used mm-hmm. this this year to transform myself in so many ways. And I, I'm more excited about next year because I know I'm going to, even when I see things going in a bad way, a totalitarian way around me, I know that I'm going to use these situations to better myself even more. And so these all, it's everything is going to be what you make of it in life. And you know, if, if there's mm-hmm. if there was ever time to make something of it and to have a reset of yourself, this is the time. And if it's, if now's not the time, then when is? I couldn't agree more. Couldn't agree more. I think Mark. that's a good way to wrap things up. And best Indeed. of luck, brother. Take care, man. Thank you. Thank yep. you, sir. Well, now, Kitty Cats, you sat through an awesome, awesome interview with Vin Armani. I could not think of a better way to wrap up the year. And I'm going to let you move on. I'm not going to hold you up too much here. I just want to remind you, of course. 
You only got three more days to take advantage of the annual Patreon subscription where you'll get 16% off. That's two freaking free months. Two free months of the Lions of Liberty Pride. The best bang for your buck you will see anywhere, at least in the libertarian sphere. I can't speak for every Patreon out there, but the best bang for your buck you're going to get on every any libertarian Patreon out there. I am at full confidence uh, saying that. And for the newbies out there, it's not just me here every single Monday bringing you amazing, insightful interviews with leaders in the liberty movement like Vin Armani. Uh, We've also got, of course, Brian McWilliams smacking you right upside the darn head every single Wednesday with his weekly shot of comedy, culture, and liberty every single Wednesday on Electric Liberty Land while John Odermatt wraps things up. Well, maybe not on Fridays for much longer, but he will be wrapping up the week either way with his weekly look at the broken criminal justice system and more. Of course, stay tuned for a little bit of a change there, but either way, you want to check out what John's doing, whether it's Felony Friday, whether it's Finding Freedom, whatever this thing's called, you don't want to miss his amazing work. Of course, all you got to do to get all of these shows for free, three shows for the price of one, that price is free. All you got to do is slap the heck out of that subscribe button wherever it is you listen to podcasts, uh, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher Radio, Spotify. I don't care how you do it. Just hit subscribe because you don't want to miss a thing right here on the greatest libertarian variety show on earth. My friends, it's been an amazing year. Maybe everybody doesn't say that, but for me, it's been an amazing year. It's been an absolutely amazing year, and 2021 is only going to be more amazing. You know why? Because no matter what this world throws at us, no matter what dim age we are in right now, we do have control over our lives. We can influence those around us. That's why I do this show, and that's what I want you guys to do in whatever way you do, whether it's just chatting with people at the, at the family table, uh, at the Thanksgiving table, if you're one of those people that actually gathered for the holidays, Christmas, and whatnot. Or whether it's doing a podcast, YouTube, writing. I just started writing on Substack, by the way. If anybody has made it an hour and 40 minutes into my podcast, I'm going to presume you like me enough that you'd like to see what I'm writing about on Substack. I'll, of course, be writing about politics, uh, libertarian, anarchist politics, and that sort of thing. But uh, also about my other interests, of course, comic books. I do the Second Print Comics podcast, which you got to check out. I do that every week, every Wednesday with Remzo Martinez. I'll be writing about the stuff I'm doing in the podcast world. I'll also be writing a bit about podcasts. And I'll write a bit about some of my other interests, the things that just kind of go on in my head that I don't really write about or, or talk about in a public sphere, things about, you know, the nature of reality, maybe some of my experiences with UFOs. Who knows what you'll see, but you'll find it all on Substack. So that's markclair.substack.com. That's my last little request for the year. Until next time, guys, until 2021, live long and live free.